With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Here's some tips for maintaining your Trex deck. Um, occasionally wash it with some soapy water or a pressure cleaner. Trex composite decking is low maintenance and won't fade, splinter or warp. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Whatever you've got on this weekend, don't miss a moment in the world of sport. Wherever you are around the country, we've got you covered. This is SENZ. We will change it up this hour. We're going to talk some darts. The dart masters have been held in Hamilton. Ben Francis is going to take us across this. He's up close and personal with a number of the players. Very shortly, Gary Francis is going to join us on the programme from Swimming New Zealand. He's the targeted athlete and coach, a programme manager. The New Zealand Short Course Championships have wound up on Auckland's North Shore today. Some very good performances as well. We're going to talk a little bit of uh, Q Sports after 4-2. Sullivan Clark's going to join us on the programme. He's the rising star in Q sports in this country. Nine ball, ten ball, eight ball. Uh, ranked inside the top 100 in the world. Originally came out of Sacred Heart College. Fine young man. Uh, New Zealand ten ball championships were played yesterday in Pukekohe. Um, and so I do just want to just change it up a little bit. We'll bring you some audio from Ian Foster, Sam Kane. We'll hear from Pablo Matera. Uh, we'll probably hear from Jurgen Klopp. We'll probably all sing You'll Never Walk Alone after that 9-0 thrashing. That 9-0 thrashing of Bournemouth. Did I say that? 9-0. Yes, that's right. 9-0. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. Hey, Ben, what's your singing like, mate? You good at singing You'll Never Walk Alone? Well, I actually don't support Liverpool, so it's not a song that I've actually Is had Is that the to... question? Well, I, I... Did I ask you, do you support Liverpool? I asked you, do you sing You'll Never Walk Alone? No. We'll try a rendition a bit later, eh? Well, okay, but if, if you're doing that, then I'll need to get something in return. Did you know Gary Francis, who's the targeted athlete and coach program manager for Swimming New Zealand, is a Liverpool fan? I bet he'll be ecstatic this morning. Yeah, he's joining us on the program right now. Gary, welcome. Yeah, <laughs> welcome, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks for that one. Yeah, as you, you, you set me up nicely there because you know that... Uh, uh, I'm, I'm definitely not a Liverpool fan, I'm afraid. Um, and uh, and one of my one of my closest, you know, colleagues, uh, um, Lars Humer, one of our coaches, is an absolute diehard uh, Scouts fan. Yeah, no, he, um, he absolutely. Uh, no. I, 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 yeah, I, I I have to give him plenty of uh, plenty of stick every opportunity I get, which is not many. Since I am a Millwall supporter, but anyway, we probably want to get onto some swimming talk now. Are, are you that? suggesting that you've got violent tendencies? <laughs> It's a vicious rumour, I think, that's brought out, you know. <laughs> hey, um, um, Ga- yeah. Gary, New Zealand short course nationals have just sort of wound up on Auckland's North Shore, and if people are not sure what short course means, it's basically it's from in a 25-metre pool versus a 50-metre pool. 50 metres is yep. referred to as long course, uh, 25 metres is referred to as short course. Before we just touch on those, I haven't spoken to you uh, since the Commonwealth Games. Uh, just your general thoughts. Um, do you felt that Swimming New Zealand exceeded expectation? Um, I-, I think that 
that we exceeded expectation in the public's eyes and probably in the eyes of um, uh, high performance sport New Zealand. Um, you know, Mark, we've talked about it many a times and we've been building. Uh, we've been, you know, uh, we've been on a big rebuild since 2018. I probably didn't expect quite the middle haul um, that, that we got. Um, I, was, I think that that was probably what I would have ex- what I expect at the next Commonwealth Games. So, we're, you know, shows were a little bit ahead. But in terms of the actual level of performances, um, I knew that we were we were pushing, we were getting close to, to some of those levels, you know, we, New Zealand records are starting to be broken again and um, and we've got a little bit more depth. So um, a bit of a, you know, a bit of a mixed answer there. Yeah, I think we probably out, you know, we were really pleased that we nicked a couple of medals um, that we, we probably didn't think we'd get. But we also, um, we also feel, feel that we might have missed one or even two. So, um, you know, our expectations gone up and, mm. um, uh, and the athletes are delivering. Erica Fairweather, you talked about last year, um, who coaches her. Um, I mean, she, she was unfortunate in that 400 metre freestyle because there's only three women in history have gone under four minutes and two of them were in that final. <laughs> yeah, they were. Well, the, the backstory to Erica is, is that she did very well at the Worlds um, off of had, having had, a, you know, just like a lot of the swimmers, a real kind of staccato type of preparation uh, through sickness and through other things. And then while she was at the world, she was our only athlete that picked up COVID. She'd swum a 400 um, and swum pretty good, not, not, not to the level that she swum last year, but we, we kind of knew that she still wasn't quite there. But the chances are that, um, um, that, she, um, that she, was, um, she was already probably sick and just it hadn't just registered at that point. Um, so we, we pulled her out after a 200. Again, she swum okay in that. Um, so she was on a bit of a, um, a, a return to training for a while. Her preparation for the Commonwealth Games definitely was affected. So her performance at the Com Games was really pretty good. And like you say, um, she's surrounded by pretty much two out of the three best swimmers that there's ever been in the event. Plus, um, you're only allowed to pick two people for the Olympics or the, or the, or the, or the World Championships. But the Aussies are allowed to pick three. Well, we're all allowed to pick three, up to three for the Commonwealth Games. And the third Australian swimmer is also um, one of the best in the world. So the Commonwealth Games field was probably as fast, if not faster, than the uh, the world's. Uh, bear in mind the Canadian girl didn't swim the 400 mm. of the world. So, yeah, Erica was up against it. There's no doubt that. She did a really good job. Yeah, the only one missing was Katie Ledecky. Now, look, uh, let's look at the New Zealand Short Course Championships. We've had five FINA A times posted this week. Just yeah. before yeah. we look at those results and those athletes, a FINA A, what does that mean? Does that mean what you're inside the top 16? What, what does the FINA A standard yeah. generally mean? Yeah. So, so for the short course, uh, the FINA A is still set at the, um, the top 16 uh, standard, the top 16 from when they decide to take it, which is usually from the previous meet. Now, last year's we had a world short course last year. Normally, there's two years in between, so um, it's uh, it's it's actually you know really very very current that you know uh, that the standards have been set for that. So um, yeah, top 16 in the world um, for the long course. Now they've moved it to top 14, so it's getting tougher and tougher. Mm, okay, let's look through the results. So we had Cameron Gray picking up a Fina Ray standard in the in the 50 back. Carter Swift the 100 freestyle, which was a New Zealand record. A Caitlin Deans yeah. in the 1500 metre free, Emma Godwin in the 200 back, and Erica Fairweather, who we've just talked about, in the 800 free, which was also a New Zealand age group record. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, all of those all of those swimmers are uh, a great job. If you think about Cameron and and uh, Erica particularly, uh, they've come back from from a really really long long campaign. Uh, they were away from the 4th of June all the way through to the end of the Commonwealth Games and they've come back and they've got in the pool and they've, they've, they've done a great job. Cameron's qualified in about five events, including the FINA A. Um, Erica's swim was pretty exceptional under, you know, under circumstances of being pretty fatigued from a, from a, um, from a, a northern summer um, escapades. Um, and then the, the other guys, it was really good to see Cameron, uh, Carter Swift back up some real promise that he showed uh, in his breakthrough meet at the World Championships. He only qualified for the Worlds in the relay, um, but because we could had the option to enter him in, a, in an individual and it didn't affect anybody else, we put him in the 100 free at the World Championships and, he's, and he broke the New Zealand record, second person New Zealand to run to 48, uh, 49 seconds, uh, and he's come back and gone strength, from strength to strength. So 47-1, that's a good time, um, and that will... You know that that will be a, a time that will give him a real competitive chance um, of making a good a semi-final. And if he keeps improving, who knows? Um, so that was good. And Caitlin Swim, uh, a really really good demonstration of skill and also of renewed confidence um, since since last year um, going to the Olympic uh, since this year going to the World Championships. Uh, she missed out on the Olympics last year. She came back. She worked hard qualify for the world and now she believes that she's a, a female swimmer and she she was way way under the time yeah, yeah, well, sorry yeah. can you just tell me off the top of your head what that 1500 meter time was do you do you have that yeah so the fina a was uh, 16 15 uh, and she was 1605 so she's 10 seconds inside um she's still you know she's still got a lot of work to do to catch those girls right at the top you know the world record's 1520 the mm. world record so you know there's a there's a big gap between the top four or five and everybody else but she's closed a big chunk of it so that was really good yeah okay and, and Caitlin and, and, sorry, and, and Emma, sorry Emma Godwin sorry. yeah Emma Emma went to the World Short Course Championships four years ago um, and she's really really back, done a, you know a great job on everything um, uh, her strength and conditioning her race preparation her training program her nutrition she does everything right and she's just missed just missed out on all of the big meets fractionally, you know, um, whether it's a little bit of um, nerves, a little bit of, you know, competition anxiety, uh, some bad luck, or just not really being right there at the, you know, at the right time. She put that all right this time, uh, made the time, did a good, good heat swim, set herself up and executed in the final. So she's deserved, uh, deservedly selected. Okay. Um, now we've had in the men's 100 free, we had eight men go under 49 seconds. When was the last time that happened? Has it happened? I, I don't think it has. I've, I'm, I'm usually, uh, you know, I, as you know, I'm usually back looking at the stats. I, I haven't checked it, and I don't think it's ever happened. Best, the best comparison I can give you is that last year, the 100 free was won by Zach Reed, our, uh, our 2021 Olympian, uh, in 49-1. Now. 49-1 uh, would would not have not have got you on the uh, on the podium this year. Wouldn't have got you even close to it. You know, um, in fact, um, you know it uh, it it would it would have only have made the final in you know in uh, in somewhere in the middle. So, uh, massive shift in our in our men's sprinting this year. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Now, breaststroke, really, really hard of the four disciplines, or the four main disciplines in swimming, arguably the hardest um, stroke to master. Tell us a little bit about yeah. Josh Gilbert, though. So, um, Josh is still pretty young. Um, he's only just 20, um, and he's been really well developed um, up in uh, the Bay of Plenty by Mike Lee at Evo. Um, he decided um, in after the Open Championships this year, having seen how how well the sprint group from Pukekohe seemed to be developing, that he would go and have a tryout down at Pukekohe with Mitch Nairn. Um He's got a new dry land program. Um, there's a chap called Luke Abbott that runs that for Pukekohe. Um, and already you can see the difference in in um, in um, Josh, um, and I think he's finally starting to show his potential now. Um, really big shift, um, three B, B times. Probably a little bit disappointed with his hundred, I think, because um, in the relays uh, he was he was swimming uh, sub 58. It was 57 seconds twice in two relays. So I think that um, there's there's a lot more there from him. But yeah. Big shift, and it's about time because we haven't had a breaststroker for a long while. Yeah, just want to reiterate that for people who have just tuned in. So Gary Francis is my guest on the program from Swimming New Zealand, targeted athlete and coach, uh, program manager. Just had the New Zealand Short Course Championships held on Auckland's North Shore, five FINA A qualifying, but an unprecedented 60 FINA B times, and the only disciplines where we didn't get a B time was the women's 50, 100 breast, and the 100 IM. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we still we're still a little bit um, we're still a little bit light in women's breaststroke. There's no doubt about that. We do have the junior Pampax going on at the moment, and there's a last uh, the last day of competition is actually t- happening right now um, in Hawaii, and there's a chance that we 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 may get a breaststroke. Uh, one of our young breaststroke girls may um, get a B time, and that would add to our World short course qualifying because obviously those guys couldn't be at the world short course at uh, the uh, trials, but yeah, women's breaststroke we're still working hard on. Um, and apart from that, you know, um, this this is we've never we've never we've never been in a position to to go to world championships and um, have a competitor in almost every event. Um, mm. So it is it is definitely. Uh, a big shift. Which is also going to bode well for the relays. Uh, you just mentioned women's breaststrokers, Brianna Crawford on a scholarship in the States. How's she progressing? Well, she had a, um, a really good, um, we're going back to um, January now, um, and she had a very, very good conference championships, winning the 200 breaststroke in the Big, big 12, which is a, one of the major conferences. Um, probably um, had a baptism of fire at the NCAAs. Um, but she's gone back into training there now. Um, I, we, I don't expect to see much of our NCAA athletes until they finish, um, especially with the way that the, the, the international calendar is there is now. It's very difficult for them to to, to get themselves ready for a senior long course competition. But yeah, she's coming along nicely. Yep. Okay, uh, Gary. Look. Um, I just sort of want to wrap this up, but I just want to go back to Commonwealth Games. We saw the success of Lewis Clearbert. We saw the World Championships yeah. placed strategically behind them. Have yeah. we learnt? Have we learnt from this? Is it the model going forward, making sure that our athletes have competed in the build-up to these pinnacle events, rather than just going into training camps? 
Well, it's interesting, Mark. You're, you're stealing my thunder because after I finish with with the uh, with your ch- chat with you, I've got to do a presentation to uh, to the New Zealand coaches, and one of the things that I'm going to you know, talk about is the fact that we we're all, we're almost forced into um, uh, preparation for Worlds, and Worlds giving us a great springboard into um, into the Commonwealth Games. I definitely I definitely feel that that. That the World Championships was a, a great preparation for the Com Games, but maybe even more so was the the extended training camp that happened between. I think if we look towards next year and particularly 2024, if we can go across to Europe and maybe have a week or so just getting acclimatised, getting recovery from our, our travel, and then swim a, a minor meet, we still set our standards pretty high and then go into uh, pre-Paris preparation. Um, I think we've learned a hell of a lot this year, and, I, and I've got to, you know, I'd like to think that we might be able to do that. Um, there's no doubt about it that um, they learned so much from the world and, and moved on so quickly. Um, our Commonwealth Games results, if we put them into the World Championships, it wouldn't have made any difference to our placings. Lewis would still have finished fourth in the 400 IM. But of course, he would have swum much faster and been much closer. Um, and and the same with nearly every other result. There were only a few. Um, Andrew Jeffcoat's 50 would have moved him forward a little bit. But but the fact that they moved forward and they really swum well throughout the Commonwealth Games, it's mm. uh, it's been a massive learning uh, process and and well worth it. Uh, just on that, someone's just texted and wanting to know whether the 50 metre events um, are they Olympic events outside of the freestyle. Uh, no, they're not. Um, they are world championship events, um, and our gut, our gut feeling in swimming is that, um, as you know, that the Olympics is making lots of shifts with the the sports that they're including, and a lot of the traditional sports are having their programs cut. Um, swimming is the only one of the tra- traditional sports that has grown. We've seen the introduction of the uh, the women's um, fifteen hundred, the men's eight hundred. We've seen the introduction of the mixed relays. Um, and we kind of feel that it may not come in for 2028, but by 2032, we're probably going to see the Form 50s introduced into the Olympics uh, because swimming is incredibly popular and it's it's an easy fix, you know. So Well, people also want to see who is the fastest breaststroker in the world, who is the fastest backstroker. I mean, that you know, people love the 100 metres on the track because basically you're looking at the fastest man and the fastest woman in the world, aren't you? That's right. And and although we're seeing um, the same people win the 50 and the 100 at the moment in the, in a lot of the um, form uh, events, I think if they become Olympic events, we'll see even more specialism and um, we'll see more people that are just going to focus on swimming as fast as they can. Um, so that, you know, that would be really exciting. There's no doubt about it. Gary, lovely to have you on the programme. Congratulations on a very good week for New Zealand swimming. And again, congratulations on a very good Commonwealth Games. Hey, thanks very much, Mark. It's always a pleasure. Um, and um, if, please, as soon as you find another football team to support, ask me back. OK, thanks, mate. <laughs> See you, mate. Uh, there you Bye. go. Yeah, last, uh, anyway, 19 minutes after three. We won't go there. 19 minutes after three. Um, uh, ben, Ben, Ben. Right, that, that was talking some swimming. We're going to talk some Q Sports after four o'clock. We're going to talk, talk some darts shortly, or are we going to do darts after four? What are we? Um, are you still talking to Gary? You're still talking to Gary. Uh, we'll take a break, and then we'll come back, and we'll bring Brent into the programme. 
23 minutes after three, someone texted in just saying, Mark, did you see the big party in West Auckland last night? Have you congratulated Kelston Boys High School on their brilliant win over St Peter's in yesterday's grand final from Carl? Yes, we did mention that. We did talk a little bit about that earlier. Um, we had Josh Sims on, the coach of Hawke's Bay, who used to coach Kelston, so we did touch on that. Yeah, really pleased for both schools making that secondary schools final. Right, uh, let's bring Ben into the programme. Hi, Ben. Good afternoon, mate. Oh, it's sort of been a bit intense this afternoon, so we really haven't had a chance to sort of um, have our usual sort of, I don't know, do we take the mickey out of No, we, we've got a good relationship. We don't really take the piss out of each other, do we? No, we're pretty good. Now, darts is your thing, and you've been lucky enough and very privileged over the last couple of days to be in Hamilton for the Darts Masters. What did you make of it all? Oh, it was a true sign of normality returning in uh, the New Zealand Darts Masters, which involves uh, the best players in the world and qualifiers locally, Oh, sorry, I just saw there was a nasty little horse fall there in the, in the races. Um, yeah, so first time back against the, the best in the world and the Oceanic qualifiers. Uh, as I said, great, just a true sign that normality was back. Seeing them all here, a bunch of fresh faces, some guys where we haven't been here before as well, some returning faces too. So all, all, all overall, it was a great weekend, uh, great crowd. They were pretty respectful towards all the players as well, which is what you want to see. What's the capacity of the venue there? Uh, I think on a full capacity they can hold about 4,000 and I think it was near capacity last night. Uh, the first night was closer to 3,000 uh, and then uh, yeah, last night was closer to about four. Okay, and what some of the best costumes you saw? Oh, the best costumes. That's, that's a good question. Uh, look, I think there were some you know, people in your typical ones you know, dressed up as your Simpsons. I'd like to say, though, that all the people rocking the new uh, Ben Robb, New Zealand's number one dart players, there was lots of his new shirts being worn around, so those were pretty good costumes, if you can call them that. And you were very lucky to be able to catch up with some of the players afterwards and interview them? Yeah, so, of course, we had lots of the guys in here uh, last week. Uh, they were actually in our offices and in the studios and that, which was great, but great seeing them all again and pretty much spoke to... Uh, most of them after games and after they were eliminated and like that. So that was, they were all great to talk to and, uh, yeah, it was great putting you know, meeting actually some of them because I'd spoken to uh, lots of them over Zoom over the years, of course, with the COVID, and it was great that they were here and actually get that face-to-face interaction. Uh, yeah, yeah, the thing is, though, um, these guys are actually superstars too. And I think what people love about it, I think why people connect because they – and it's not necessarily a, it's not necessarily the right um, stereotype, but they just basically see guys, beer drinking dudes out of the pub, being coming superstars in a sport, and I think that's what appeals. Well, that's the thing. It's you just don't like... have to have the six foot six Usain Bolt or the lungs of a fish to, you know. Well, they just be look like everyday champion. people. Yeah, and that, and that's the thing. Uh, one of the young Kiwi that won Caden Milne, he made his TV debut on Friday night, and he beat uh, the female player Fallon Shurik, and that was, uh, I think, it was now the third New Zealander to win at the New Zealand Darts Masters. And uh, he played Michael Smith in the semi-finals, and he, uh, it was a bit of a one-sided contest. But I spoke to him after that, and he said it was incredible because the day before he was kind of like a nobody, he wasn't that well known. And then he said the next day he was trying to have, you know, keep it relaxed, relaxing day. And he said there were people calling for him across the street, people wanting autographs and selfies and like that. And that's just what one win mm. can do. Well, I, I say this, you know, it, it truly becomes huge here if we have the Stephen Adams effect, if we can get one player inside that top echelon playing regularly, being seen on television, getting through to quarterfinals, semifinals, like Dino Kane did in snooker back in the 1980s, early 1990s, then suddenly it's not a niche sport. It actually becomes a mainstream sport. And the nice thing about it on television, seeing a young New Zealander cause the upset, it says, hey, it can be done. It can be done. 
Uh, now, you caught up with Gerwin Price. Yeah, that's right. So, of course, Gerwin Price, he beat his Welsh compatriot, uh, Johnny Clayton, in the final. And I was lucky enough to have a very quick chat with him after the, I think he won 8-4. Okay. Gerwin Price, first time in New Zealand and you're the champion. How does that feel? Yeah, I'm over the moon. I mean, I bombed a couple of opportunities in Australia, especially the first one. So, yeah, I thought Johnny was going to fly out the blocks exactly like he did. And thankfully, I found my A game towards the end of that game and managed to scrape a win. But, yeah, it was a good uh, few weeks overall and ready to go home now. How was the whole experience for you? Yeah, it was good, especially in in Wollongong. I mean, Townsville was a bit hostile, but the weather was good there. And then going to Wollongong, the, the crowd were fantastic. New Zealand... They, they were amazing, so uh, it was a fair crack in the final, and thankfully I came through that, but yes, yeah, it's uh, a trip well worth it, and I'm glad I came. Since so you're saying you need a bit of a massage to loosen up the body after being on the rugby field, how's the body feeling now? Yeah, it feels all right. I never had a massage today. I just lazed about in bed all day, and yeah, just got, my ready, got myself ready for today, so chilled out, relaxed, and yeah, thankfully I, I come through a Finally, a day where it's three games on a bounce, so usually I play well first game and then I'm rubbish, but thankfully I come through all three and picked up a trophy. Now, you're, I don't know if you did hear, you might have heard some people in the crowd say it, but the All Blacks suffered a bit of a historic loss tonight to Argentina. Yikes. But uh, you're, you're in the black jersey and you're in the black jersey one in New Zealand? Yeah, so I think the crowd were happy-ish. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah, but it's the first time that I think New Zealand down to number four in the world. I mean... You never think that a couple of years back, but same as that, the standard in rugby is rising. No, nothing's ever sure for sure. So yeah, I'm uh, just happy that someone in black won this weekend. <laughs> I think we are too, mate. And uh, have you got a message for the the fans down here before you depart? Yeah, I mean, like I said, in Australia it was a little bit hostile the first week, but this this weekend the fans have been absolutely fantastic. Give everybody a fair crack, supported everyone. Obviously supported the New Zealanders a little bit more, which you expect, but. They, they were respectful and, and they uh, supported a lot of players, you know, both sides, especially in the final, me and Johnny. I think a little bit more Johnny, but yeah, I'm thankful to come over the line. And we've spoken before, and of course you meant to come down here a few years ago on that, but how was it actually getting down here, interacting with those fans and, and the people? Yeah, it's been brilliant. I mean, it's a, it's a long journey down and it's a long way to come if you don't pick up any wins. But yeah, I, was, I would have been disappointed going home if I hadn't picked up a trophy, but thankfully, you know, it was third time lucky. I've got a trophy in the bag and... Yeah, it'll be, a, it'll be a long journey home, but it'll be an happy one. You're thinking that well, one will help you serve you in good stead heading into the busy part of the year? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a ranking event now next week in Budapest. So I'm full of confidence. That's what this game is all about. So I'm going into that full of beans, ready ready for the ranking event. And yeah, it's a busy month, a week off at the end of the month, ready for the, the, the Grand Prix, which is in Leicester. So yeah, busy couple of months coming up. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time and congratulations on no your win. Cheers, buddy. Thanks. Cool. Thanks, Thanks, Yeah, I uh, love uh, Gurren Price and the Welsh. Um, they love their rugby too. And he, was, of course, has played rugby at a very, very high level and has become the number one darts player um, in the world. So um, remarkable, remarkable. Now, Caden Milne uh, is the New Zealander who caused the big upset. And you've got, you caught up with him as well, Ben. Yeah, that's right. So Caden, uh, he reached the quarterfinals, just the third New Zealander to, to reach that stage at the New Zealand Darts Masters. And uh, here's the chat with him here. Um, what a 24 hours here. Yeah, absolutely hectic. Um, it's been crazy. How was that match up there in the quarterfinal against Michael Smith different to last night's against Fallon? Um, the quality of darts was, was much higher. 
uh, and I knew I needed to perform better than, than what I did, unfortunately. What was it like sharing the stage with a man like Michael Smith who's been around the game a long time, he's, he's achieved a lot, he's played in world finals and here's you who you made, only made your TV debut 24 hours ago and you're sharing the stage with him now. That's crazy to be honest, um, he was a real class act in, in the game and uh, what a respectful guy and it was just awesome to be up there playing against him and I had one dad at double so <laughs> I guess I can be happy with that. <laughs> what, what, did he, what did he talk to you about after, after that game there? He just said sorry that he you know, he, obviously you could tell I was a bit of a crowd favourite, which is crazy to say, but, you know, I think he sort of wanted me to, to maybe perform a little bit better than I did. Was, it, was the crowd any different to last night? They seem to have, like, re reached another level here. It's definitely more people, and uh, it was definitely loud. I don't think I got to too many doubles where yesterday I was on doubles and they were getting really loud and, and hyped for me to hit those finishes. How was, the, how was today for you? Because, of course... You made your debut yesterday, you're on that stage and you've kind of had a bit of time now to reflect on everything. I know you've just lost that match there, but has any of it sunk in yet? Oh, to be honest, not really. I've just been chilling out um, with my family that are up here and uh, I'll probably wake up tomorrow or maybe on Monday and I'll <laughs> be able to look back and it'll, it'll hit me pretty hard, I think. How proud is the family? You know, what, what, did they, what have they said to you? Oh, they're, they're incredibly proud, you know. Um, yeah, it's, it's crazy that, that they even came up here to support me. I didn't expect that, and and uh, yeah, they're super proud. Does your family not usually come watch you play darts or anything? <laughs> no, normally I'm sort of just cruising around on my own, to be honest, and uh, yeah, no, they decided that they should come to this big one. <laughs> well, it's completely understandable. Did they, does it feel that extra special with them there in the crowd? Oh, for sure. I Just looking out and seeing them, it's like, oh, it's pretty special. Did you walk around Hamilton at all today and did people recognise you or what, what, was, what was today like? Um, yeah, I was walking around just trying to chill out and people were shouting out from across the road and <laughs> we went to the gardens and there was just people taking photos left, right and centre. It's just, it's pretty foreign to me. I didn't really expect that sort of response from people. How are you enjoying the fame? <laughs> it's short-lived but um, it's pretty enjoyable for now. Awesome, Caden. Thanks so much for your time, eh? Congratulations. Thanks a lot. Yeah, Caden Millen then. Um, and so, uh, Ben, uh, sorry, you've got some more audio there from Michael Smith, is it? Yeah, so Michael Smith uh, played him. Four, no, f number four in the world, I think you were saying. Yeah, world number four in the world. Uh, he, of course, played Caden in the quarterfinals there, and it was quite one-sided, but Michael Smith's been around for a long time, and uh, he was was pretty straightforward for him. But I did catch up with him straight after, and just spoke to him a bit about uh, Caden and what he kind of said to him after the game and things like that. So it was it was quite a bit of an insightful chat and just good advice, I guess, for any. I would even say even not in darts. I guess for anyone in like an individual sport like darts could be pool, snooker, whatever, where you are a bit up and coming. So it was quite insightful, and I'll uh, play for that for you right here. All right, so Michael, you got a 6-0 win over there over Caden Milne. What was it like being up on that stage playing against the lone New Zealanders, mate, the last <laughs> day? Uh, for the first couple of legs, it was nervous. But when he hit the 118, I went out with a 116. The crowd just went silent, and I managed to go into my own game. But the last two legs, I went dodgy again. I was only going, like, one travel visit or no travels. Where four legs, I was hitting two or three every single time. But yeah, it, it felt good. I said to the kid after the match, just go and enjoy it now. He'd done better than what he probably expected to do here. 
and yeah I'll probably see him again hopefully next year if I'm back what did you what have you made of the whole experience here in Hamilton so far oh me and my wife was talking about this this morning um if I was in Auckland I don't think I'd come on holidays Auckland's not for me I get knackered just going for the shop it's just all uphill but no Hamilton's a lovely city and it's close to everything that we want and yeah if if I could come back on holiday I definitely would come back here Definitely come back to Hamilton or anywhere, anywhere else in New Zealand you want to visit? Uh, definitely Hamilton and I also want to go to Newhair. That's where my brother-in-law is from. So oh, wow. I'd love to visit his island as well. And what about the other New Zealand players here? We've had four Kiwi guys play here. You know, Ben Rob did push Gerwin, had some through some good darts. What do you think of the standard of darts here in New Zealand? I think Ben Rob's going to try his best next year and get his tour card. And the way he plays and what I know and I've seen of him, he'll get his tour card and... He'll probably end up having to move to England. But, yeah, he's a quality player. And then you've got Warren Parry. He's, he's a legend of the game. He's been in so many world finals. He's been in a lot of things. Bernie Smith, he's been playing really well. He pushed far. And then I'm going to be bad now because I forgot the last one. The kid who just played then. Yeah, <coughs> yeah so he, he did well for his first game. And he's only 22. He's just, he needs to stop enjoying it too much. No one he's playing because he, he can't believe he's there. He just needs to get his serious face on, his serious game, and yeah, because once you start smiling and having a laugh, it's it's different then because you're taking it as as fun. And I think in the first leg he went for three balls against me. He shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> Should not be doing that. And it, it annoyed me a bit, but no, it's yeah, it's his first time. He had fun, but he learns when he's a baby, you know. Oh, exactly. I guess it's experience. You, you've been around the game for a while. That you can just pass on to someone like that, a young up and comer in the game, and he'll learn a lot of things from that. Yeah, this, these last couple of days for him, it should be massive. Not only winning the qualifiers to get here, but being on that stage in front of them fans. And I said to him after the game then, he went to walk off and I grabbed him back and just go and enjoy it. Because you've got to soak it up, you've got to realise what you've done, you've qualified. I know he's not the result he wanted to play me then, but he was still in the quarterfinals of, of the New Zealand Masters. So he's, he's got to realise that and then put it right for next year. Now he's got 12 months solid hard work and dedication and get back next year yeah boy I tell you what what a class act he is uh, Michael Smith brilliant boy you know you've just been beaten and you come out and you just hold your head high and you're nothing but congrat- con- congratulatory so I'm struggling to get that out today I'm not sure why um, boy that that's just wonderful to hear you know, not making excuses, understands that sometimes the game can be a little bit fickle and just doesn't always go your way. Uh, you know, it's a sport that I'd imagine the number of times you lose, it's unforced errors as much as anything, isn't it? Um, and it's such small margins. So, yeah, really, really good to hear. And uh, you can understand why the sport is popular. It's not just thoroughly entertaining in terms of the way they dress it up, the commentary side of it, the theatre that goes on. But I think it's the fact that the players, a little bit like motor car, a little bit like racing car drivers out of, say, the supercars, they understand the business they're in. They understand sponsorship and they understand the need to be able to connect with their audience. English Premier League do it well. Uh, New Zealand rugby do it terribly. I just had to get that one in. All right, Ben, we'll take a break. We'll come back with more. It is 20 minutes away from 4 o'clock. Lines are open, 0800 150 If you have just joined the programme, I've gone on a bit of a rant, a bit of a rave this afternoon on Ian Foster. I'm basically begging Ian Foster to resign. Um, he's just, he has to. He has to. Um, he's just going to damage his reputation. It's starting to look like that he thinks he's bigger than the sport and that the answers are around the corner and they're clearly not. Uh, if you do want to have your say, you just want to vent, 
uh, feel free. Um, if you can find some good in it, I'd love to hear from you because you've got to be one of the great optimists. Um, you'd have to be one of the most positive people to ever phone a radio station if that is the case, but I'd love to hear from you. 0800 150 811 is the number. You can um, text us here on double eight double three. Yeah, coming up after four o'clock, we'll talk some Q Sports with one of the best pool players in the country, a young man by the name of Sullivan Clark. We'll also bring you some audio from today's press conference with Ian Foster. And we'll keep the lines open. We'll talk some English Premier League football. Great to see my mob getting up and winning over Bournemouth 9-0, just the third team in English Premier League football, to do that at the highest level in the sport. The remarkable thing is Mo Salah didn't get himself on the score sheet. Right, let's go to the phones. Hi, Mikey. Oh, g'day, Watto. Hey, uh, I didn't know if I was going to even phone in today. I'm so upset. <laughs> I know the sun rises every day and everything's fine. I've gone out and played a terrible round of golf. Um, but I just cannot get this team out of my head and this coaching. Um, I'd love someone to explain to me how fairly decent and pretty good rugby players can be made to look so ordinary when they put the black shirt on. Um, this whole NZRU thing, it's really the Emperor's New Clothes, isn't it? Well, you know, it, it, they see something that the rest of us, we see them, it's just terrible. It's terrible. Hmm. Oh. They need to answer for what um, they need to go. I mean, that, that conference they had, sorry, I'm ranting a little bit, but that conference they had when they announced Foster as coach and that belligerent old man out there, I don't know who the hell he was, banging on about Foster's arm man, this and the other thing. Again, the NZRU have got eagle on their face. When are they going to wake up? Well, they don't, though. This is the problem with New Zealand rugby. It's complete and utter arrogance. It's been there for a long time. It was, in my opinion, driven by the previous administration as well. Um, you know, look, Ian Foster has to resign. He has to just have some dignity here. I think Mark Robertson probably needs to take a long, hard look at himself, perhaps move on. I think the board need to have a look at themselves. I actually named the board members earlier as well. And you look at the board and you start to just think, hey, there's a whole lot of box ticking going on here. Let's just make sure we sort of uh, tick all the identity politics and make sure everything looks good, at least in a PowerPoint presentation. Uh, look, I don't think some of our players are up to it. There's no way Sam Kane is good enough to be an All Black. Um, no. You know, it's time for a, a bit of a baby Blacks 86. You know, we need to bring some fresh blood in. We need to bring some people who are excited to be in the All Black jersey. Uh, but, you know, even the way they just treated Stephen Perifeta, putting the guy oh, on for 50 seconds, your all-black debut is just tokenism, isn't terrible. it? You know, I, I, would yep. have, I wouldn't have actually had any problem watching a guy like him get a start at some point. Why not? I mean, Ian yep. Foster's made it clear that it's OK to experiment. It's actually OK to lose between Rugby World Cups now, which is just so wrong. And my thing... Uh, my thing, uh, Mikey, was that when they reappointed Ian Foster, that that's actually, I think, the admission. They actually said, you know what, we are now... It's okay now to lose as long as we win the Rugby World Cup, and that is just not the all-black way, particularly when you've just signed a $215 million deal where your brand has been valued at $3 billion. And of, and of all the places, of all the criticism he's received and everyone wants Razor as coach, of all the places to lose at, <laughs> you go down to Christchurch, and they probably all had their arms folded and went, okay, Foster, show us what you've got, and to lose like that, you've just got to go, mate, you guys are just... You're all dreaming. It's it's it really upsets me because I mean I've done a bit of travelling and you put the old all black shirt on from time to time and and it's a talking point. People come up and talk to you. They know where you're from. Um, and now this whole jersey's being devalued. Um, and I just 
it's just getting too much. <laughs> I'll get over it, but it's just getting no, too don't, much. No, don't, moment, but but it? but don't get over it, Mikey. That's the problem. If we start to get over it, apathy creeps, and we are in a world of trouble. Don't get over it. So jump up and down. Let's try and force some change. You'd be like Manchester United fans, you know, who turn up to the game, but they have a protest against the Glazier family before actually turning up. They've had a gutsful. They've had enough. But it's up now to Ian Foster. If he wants to have any dignity, if he wants to show any respect, he needs to fall on his sword. You know, we've always said that no one player is bigger than the All Blacks. We've got a coach now who believes he is bigger. That, hey, the, the turning point's just around the corner. It's not, Mikey. You can't put back in what God's left out. You, and these players, I'm sorry, they're just not good enough. They're just not good enough. We're still playing players yeah. out of position at the moment. You, you know, Will Jordan, in my opinion, should be starting at fullback. Give the guy some room. Give the guy some room. And I'm over the boat. I'm over the Barrett brothers. I'm sorry. I'm over the Barrett brothers. Overrated. Overrated. I'm past the point that they all grew up and played rugby in the backyard together. Yeah. I'm past that, mate. And also, what's Sebu Reese done wrong, by the way? Well, yeah, but that's it. I mean, it's, it's funny though, isn't it? Hey, no, I, I do have to move on, Mikey. But I, I, yeah. but I, I will just say that it's funny, isn't it? The All Blacks forwards play badly. What do we do? We drop the wingers. Uh, Jason from Maroolabark in Victoria, Melbourne, saying New Zealand rugby should get Eddie Jones as the next coach and Australian rugby should get Scott Robertson. <laughs> and he also texted and was very complimentary of the show, so thank you. Uh, we've got Foster and Kane. This comes from somebody in Omaru. Foster and Kane have to go. How has Kane played 80-odd tests is beyond me, let alone all-black captain. Always been a love affair with him. Yeah, a lot of people have said that, haven't they? Um, who's the Chiefs player that we let go um, last year who never got a shot at the All Blacks? He's got his other younger brother now playing for the Chiefs. I'm just having a mental block. Somebody will text me. Um, oh, I'll Google it anyway and we'll bring it up after four. But boy, sorry? No, no, loose forward. Not Damien McKenzie. Is, um, yeah, Lachlan Bosch here. What's his brother's name? Callum, Lachlan Boschier, there was a great example. Oh, he's not good enough. Really? Really? Not good enough? Lachlan Boschier, I thought, was a player that had some real X factor. But no, no, he's not good enough, according to Ian Foster. But Sam Kane is. You know, this is the dumb stuff, isn't it? This is the dumb stuff. Um... Text, I'll read this out because this came in earlier. The demise of Australian rugby can be traced back to some extent to the professionalism of the game, with many players going overseas for the big bucks, Japanese clubs, English clubs, French rugby. The players not being able to return to represent Australia. Has the same happened to the All Blacks, Richard, from Sydney? Yeah, to a lesser degree. To a lesser degree. Most of the players that do head offshore are actually pretty much done their time in the jersey. It is one minute after four o'clock. Time to change it up completely. Switch the focus. Bring some different sport to the airwaves. And we're going to talk Q Sports now. I was very lucky yesterday to be in Pukekohe for the Massey New Zealand Open 10 Ball Championship. And Q Sports is a big sport. In fact, Massey have four clubs in the North Island, 20,000 members. Yes, 20,000 members. We've all picked up a cue. We've all played some form of eight ball. And these days, the game that seems to be sweeping the world is nine ball. And ten ball, well, just another variation on that. Dino Kane, a lot of people will remember, an older generation, having reached the quarterfinals at the Crucible in 1987 and 1992 and reaching as high as 11th in the world. 
but we've got a young man who's starting to emerge here, not just doing good things in New Zealand, but starting to do great things overseas. Out of Sacred Heart College originally, he went down to university, Victoria University in Wellington, I think, to study psychology, didn't really enjoy it, and while he was down there in the dorms and the hostels, picked up a pool cue. And as they say, the rest is history. He's now ranked comfortably inside the top 100. And the way he's going, the application that he's showing, the time that he's now starting to spend overseas to become a hardened professional, I think we're going to see a really special talent emerge and become recognised in this country. His name is Sullivan Clark. He joins us on the programme. Sullivan, good afternoon. Welcome. Hi, Mark. How are you? Yeah, very good. Now, you have got through to the final last night. You took on the great Marco Toysha. And unfortunately, Marco got the better of you, but were you pleased with the way you played? Uh, you know, at the moment in patches, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased with what I'm doing on the table. Um, it's, at, the moment, at the moment, it's a work in progress, really, but it's, it's kind of just finding the balance, especially in those, in those bigger moments and especially overseas. But in patches, I'm playing exactly how I'd like to play, and then in patches, I can fall away, and it's really just like... Assessing the, uh, the mental differences between the two, and, and that's uh, that's what's really going to help me sail, I think. So yeah, in patches it was good. Can you just turn uh, it to be fair, he just he he just uh, he just played a bit better than me, and uh, he broke better than me. He did all the little things better than me. He played safe better. He was kicking much better, hitting the right side of the balls. And at the end of the day, those are the things that really matter, mm. are the uh, the little intricacies in the game. So. Um, I'm, I'm always learning with those things, and uh, especially playing in matches like that, you learn a lot because you can see the, the different things that they're adjusting to, the different uh, the different angle of approach and the different uh, perception of the game. And, and, yeah, it's just a work in progress, really, and that's kind of how I hope to keep my head the whole time is just continually a work of progress. No matter how, um, how good you get, just keep having that almost beginner's mindset and the willingness to learn. So, hmm. yeah, What separates the very, very best in the world to say where you're at and let's not underestimate it, you are an outstanding player, but to take that next step and to find that consistency, what is the difference? Uh, for me, what separates the greats would, would definitely have to be their perception because obviously when it comes down to tennis, pool, golf, whatever you want to choose, Everybody, all those elite guys are great at what they do, but there's always a few standouts. Like in tennis, there's Roger. You know, golf, you have Tiger. Um, and for me, it's the perception and the self-belief in the process, really. So at the minute, I, I think my process is, is going in a very good direction. Um, but in terms of the courage, the, uh, the self-belief side of the game, I think I lack, even though those are the things I try to, um, I suppose, promote in the way I play the game. But... But yeah, I think I think a lot of it at the minute for me is, is self-belief. I think, as I said, my processes are getting very, very solid and very stable in terms of uh, in terms of my technique, in terms of the uh, the way I think. But at the minute, I think it's just really being able to being able to come out the gates and just really believe that everything you've worked on really is going to come out on the day. Because I've obviously had moments where I can play great, and I've had moments where I'm playing like feel like I'm playing with my eyes closed almost. So. Um, and I feel like I can't even make a ball. But but most of the time, it's not obviously coming down to the technical side of the game because I feel like um, I feel like I'm rather advanced at that. I would like to say, mm. but um, I think at the end of the day, it comes down to the timing, the perception, 
mental mental stability and the and the self belief side of the game. And I think, especially in pool, especially in still ball sports, uh, when it comes down to race day, um, it's all self belief. It's all it's all trust in your in your preparations. It's it's being able to enjoy it and uh, kind of balance the the logical side of the brain with the instinctive side of the brain and just allowing things to happen rather than trying to make things happen. And mm. At the minute, I can get into a great flow of allowing things to happen, and then sometimes that drops off, and it's, sometimes I struggle to get the balance back very quickly, whereas, as you'd know, someone like Roger can drop off for a set, half a set, and it looks like he's, it looks like he's nowhere near his top game, all it all it can take is thirty seconds sitting in the chair, and and he's back on, on with flying colours. So, I think that's a that's a bit of a uh, uh, an experience thing as well. I don't think it's something that you're gonna be able to change overnight. But uh, as long as you're studying uh, every angle of of sport, whether it's pool, whether it's marathons, whether it's tennis, whether it's it could be bowling if you wanted it to be darts, as long as you take a little bit of information, I think you can always kind of add it to your arsenal. And I think. I think the expansive arsenal is what's gonna what's gonna really help me chase. As as in a funny way, experience is never really gonna be on my side. As I picked up the game so late compared to some of these guys, so I think uh, yeah, I think having a, a large arsenal of uh, of mental tricks, of of skillful and technical tricks, and then that with a balance of a, a lot of self belief and a lot of confidence, almost verging on the. Uh, almost bridging on an internal arrogance, but obviously it doesn't come out. Mm. Yeah, I, I want to ask you this, because you're a very um, intelligent young man, Sullivan. I've spoken to you a lot of times, and, and I've got a lot of time for you, and I've got a lot of time for the way you do approach things. Is there a danger, though, is there not a danger, though, that you know, having so much desire, being an intellectual, um, understanding sports psychology, that that actually becomes the weakness because you do start to overthink it, that your head's just always busy? Yeah, 100%. Um, that, that's something that I've had to work on massively, especially in this game, especially, like I say, still ball sports. But um, I, I kind of try to leave the overthinking to the practice table. I'm happy to struggle on the practice table. I'm happy to make a lot of errors on the practice table in, in the analysis side of the game. But when it comes to race day... That, that, that's kind of what I mean by the self-belief. You kind of just have to let everything go. Sometimes the ball's... Sometimes you can't even see that the ball's going in, but you just have to trust the fact that that you, if you're not uncomfortable in that moment, it's, it probably will be going in, but it's a matter of changing that probably to, to wills rather than, than half-truths, half you know? You've got to get it to a point where it's, where it's absolute. And, uh, yeah, definitely overthinking is the biggest problem, I think, in any sport, and... Any, any any individual sport, it's, it's huge. So mm-hmm. I think it's just a matter of separating separating your overthinking from uh, race day. So mm-hmm. it's just a matter of I'm happy to overthink all the time in practice and, and develop things and, and think maybe there's a better way, maybe this is better, maybe this isn't right. But when it comes down to race day, I just try to let, let everything come out. Sometimes it's, if it's the first shot I see, I just trust that the first shot is the right shot. And if it doesn't go well, I go back to the practice table and reassess, watch back matches, listen to what my uh, mentors have to say about, you know, this shot is not right, this isn't right, and kind of just go through the process all the time and practice and then, yeah, just just open the floodgates on race day and just see what happens, really. Um, Marco Toysha, who you lost to in the final yesterday, I mean, one of the best uh, cueists 
in the world, originally out of the Netherlands, now living here. He's won the US Kimball Championship back in 2019. How much of a benefit is it having him here in New Zealand and being able to play him regularly? And what have you learnt from him? What have you discovered about him that makes him successful? Um, yeah, definitely. It, it's, it's hugely it's hugely important to have someone like that, and especially in New Zealand in, in relation to Q Sports, because we don't really we don't really have uh, anybody who you could uh, you could say has a professional status. It would be much like uh, a lot of the small sports in New Zealand. So um, it's hugely beneficial, and um, yeah, well, what makes him successful, I think, in the game as well is he has like an all-round knowledge of the game. He's very technically sound. Um, a, a lot of pool players can be very, um, very, how would you say, um, inconsistent in their approach. Like the acceleration of the cue is very different. Um, the way they approach the shot from, from standing to being fully down on the shot can vary from shot to shot. As you can see, he's very um, precise in his mannerisms. Like he always, he always takes his time. He's always um, like allowing his brain to be very clear on each shot rather than trying to play with a massive flow and getting ahead of yourself. So, and especially when it comes to stuff like breaks and kicking, and kicking can be very important because hitting the right side of the ball and playing it with the right speed is, is everything. You know, A guy can have you fully snookered, but if you're kicking games strong and, and you know how to adjust to the tables and um, being able to feel that is obviously something that's so difficult. You don't have something like a wind gauge. You don't have a, a yardage meter to to help you find out how hard you need to hit the ball or what, what club you need to use. So it's all feel at the end of the day. And I think with his experience playing overseas and playing these uh, top players on the regular, as he did when he was in Europe, it's, um, it's kind of set the bar for his, his average level. So even if he drops below par, his average level will still be, um, still be a, a very high level, especially yeah. in somewhere like New Zealand where Q Sports is very small. Yeah, one thing he's very, very good at, he makes decisions under pressure and he's not afraid to play safety. He's not looking for the box mm. office shots. He's not looking for the television highlight. Is, is, that a diff- mm. is that a difficult thing to do? Is that something you've always challenging with in terms of you, you talked about going out there, having confidence, being positive? But sometimes, mm-hmm. you, you know, I say this, you can gamble all you want, but Las Vegas wasn't built on winners. No, of course. Um, yeah, the percentage, the percentage shot is often the right shot. And again, I think it comes down to um, just the clarity of the mind in the situation. You know, if you're not, if you're not feeling like your game is, is, is taken off in the trajectory that you'd think throughout the match, then as you say, it's about becoming recollected and, and playing safe at the right times. And especially if the balls are sitting in a very specific way that the safe is, is more beneficial than perhaps playing aggressive. Um, it, it's often the right option, but I haven't, I haven't, I've developed that over time. And actually, Marco's helped me with that. When I used to practice with him quite a lot, he used to, he actually used to assess some of my practices and, and tell me, you know, this was lower percentage. This was, this is, this is the higher percentage way to play. And uh, a lot of study of the game also helps you to do that, I think. And then you kind of just recognise the shots as they, as they come to you, and you kind of recognise that, you know, I shouldn't bank this ball. I should, uh, I should play safe here. Sometimes the ball's just laying away where the bank is just feels like it's so natural that you can play a bank and get uh, natural on the next ball. Whereas if the ball was two inches to the left, you might not play the bank anymore as the angle um, has to be manipulated a bit more. And then it, you're now, you're, now you're playing with a lower mm-hmm. percentage shot. So um, in terms of playing safe and stuff, I think it's... Um, 
I've always been I've always been decent to that to some degree. But but if you're feeling well and you and you you're adjusting to the conditions well, which someone like uh, Marco would do well because he does so well because he's um he's experienced so many different uh, conditions from slow tables to fast tables to small pockets to big pockets. Um, you kind of just you kind of get that memory bank and that muscle memory of I know how to approach these kind of shots and if the table's sticky maybe you won't play the bank and if it's slidey apparently uh, maybe you can uh, you can manipulate the bank more so it kind of depends on your experience and the knowledge that you have of the equipment and uh, perhaps the balls are playing a bit stickier on that certain day and yeah I think it just comes down to just clarity of the moment really and if you're feeling good and then sometimes you feel like you can attack everything and you, your brain doesn't feel like you're going to miss and it, it doesn't even consider it. And then that, that's the kind of space I uh, would like to achieve. And uh, I think that just comes with really just breaking down the mental side of the game. I think that's, that's quite overlooked in sport, the mental side of the game. I think that's the most important thing. So it's all I- about balance, really, I think. Yeah, my guest on the program is New Zealand's leading pool player, Sullivan Clark. Yesterday, runner-up in the New Zealand Open Temple Championship, losing to one of the best in the world in Marco Teuscher of the Netherlands. Um, Sullivan, I've spent a bit of time in recent times with Dino Kane, as I said, ranked as high as 11th in the world in snooker, made the quarterfinals at the Crucible, um, beat every one of the biggest names in the sport when it was very when it was a boom sport here in New Zealand. But one thing when talking to Dean was the fact that he went off to Europe went off to London when he was just 17 years of age, lived in an attic and mm. just basically lived on the smell of an oily rag and chased it. Have you done much of that? Is that part of your mindset? Is that part of becoming that hard and professional? Are you prepared to do that? Yeah, 100%. And um, one of the things that I've actually noticed a lot in my um, in my sort of research with athletes is I've noticed... Uh, a lot of athletes across all sports, um, they seem to, sometimes they throw themselves into the deep end and, uh, how would you put it, it it can start off really well, you can get the ball rolling, but because you get so stuck into it, all the outside, um, the external factors can, can start to affect you mentally and then you see a lot of athletes, they can be coming into their prime and they, they start to really burn out. So my approach at the minute as I as I don't have the experience on my side, is, is to kind of almost wean into it. So each year, every six months, I'm always wanting to extend my stays and extend my stays uh, in terms of a broadness. And uh, eventually I just want to, yeah, exactly that, just pretty much uh, spend most of my time out of the country and just uh, just get straight into it every day, mm. every hour of every day, just put as much as I can into it, which I currently do in New Zealand. But as you say, it's much different being in amongst the best constantly all the time and uh one thing i really did want to i do want to avoid because i've felt it in my past with other sports is is throwing myself at things and constantly being in amongst it and kind of getting to the point where i don't enjoy it anymore and uh uh, this is a game i kind of intend to take through my entire life so i kind of i kind of want to get the balance right and be able to search for that balance rather than just throwing myself into the deep end even though i do enjoy doing that but throwing myself into a deep end for an extended period of time and then the external factors uh, affecting my game too much, really. So mm. as long as I can find the balance, you know, there might be a, there might be a good balance for me. But at the minute, I just want to slowly extend my stays and slowly extend my stays. And eventually, within the next few years, just spend most of my time uh, outside of New Zealand, hopefully in America, Europe, Asia, 
and then become and then just flow into that lifestyle. Yeah, no, talking to Jimmy, the Professor Henry, who's one of the most astute men in the sport and is my expert comments guy saying that you've been training up to 10 hours a day on his table out there in Henderson. That's how dedicated you are to it. But one thing, Sullivan, that you have a really good understanding of other sports and you do a lot of running as well. What is the what is the um, mindset behind doing that sort of supplementary work? Uh, yeah, the the running thing is uh, is really just a... Uh, a mind and body thing really for me um, I used to do a lot of running at school but I never really enjoyed it I had to get persuaded a lot to 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 show up to trainings and, and to run in events and but it wasn't until I found Paul that I realized how beneficial running could be because it's 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 not really like anything else it, it's just you and your feet there's no you don't need anything else you don't need you don't even need shoes if you don't want to you don't need a gym and it's just being able to just Every day, just kind of put those shoes on and just, just, just almost, almost suffer for a little bit in a funny way. And uh, there's so many times throughout the runs, throughout the waking up, that you just don't want to do it because it's just not, it's just not something that you you would necessarily look forward to every day. But being able to overcome that hurdle really seems to um, just uh, impact my life in a day-to-day basis. Whether it's whether it's the pool, whether it's whether it's being stuck in traffic. Um, your mind has endured a lot more, a lot more moments where you just don't really want to do what you're doing right now. And and if that's a match where you're you're falling off a cliff and you're playing terribly, I think the running and I think the um, physical physical suffering, even though it sounds crazy, um, seems to really benefit as as your brain just adjusts to that and you start to really just just push through the barriers and try to break down more barriers and at the minute I just want to just figure out how much longer I can run and push the distances more and more obviously over time because I prefer not to to injure myself especially in a sport like running where it's very high injury risk Um, I just want to be able to just push the limits and you're kind of just pushing the brain to that place you know can I go further and then once you understand that you can you start to think, man, what really is achievable with this, with this brain, with this body that I'm blessed with and this earth, you know? And I think that's really important, even though uh, it's not really common in the world we live in. I think it's, it's almost the most important, important thing, and it almost becomes a meditative, a meditative practice that you just focus on the breathing, you get to a place where the thoughts are, thoughts are just dissipating and, and you can really fly by in the moment, and then when it becomes a struggle... Um, it's just about fighting that that side of the brain that says, you know, you could just walk for a little bit here. You know, you could just you could stop on the next corner. You could just turn around and go home. But really, if you just keep pushing through, your brain sometimes just knocks into that place where you go, man, I can't believe I was considering quitting five minutes ago. Now I'm sailing. So it's really just a it's really just a training for um, having faith in the ship throughout the storm. Really, you know, it's easy to sail when the sun shines. So it's good practice to be stuck in the storm and, and you know that's kind of the same thing as you say with being in that hardened professional lifestyle is is just slowly just, just learning how to handle the storm learning how to handle the storm and eventually you're not panicking you know you've got a you've got a naturally lower heart rate from being a being a high high endurance athlete and I think that also helps you in the in the pressure moments because it's easier to become relaxed it's easier to drop your heart rate you have a you have a wider range between the low the low end of your heart rate and your max heart rate. I feel like um, all those little factors can really aid to uh, to 
something or someone that's uh, able to handle uh, high-pressure situations. So we're running for me at the minute, which I hope to add more things into that. Not just running, could be anything, swimming, could be cycling, could start doing triathlons. It's just wherever it really takes me in terms of pushing the mind to some form of limit. And I think that really does help my pull. And I've had a lot of people uh, say the same things, is that when they're running and when they're on top of their almost things you don't really want to do, um, it, it really helps your mind just figure out how to get to that place where even though you're hurting, whether it's emotionally or physically, it, there's always a light. You know, there's always there's always something there that you can work with to help you get through. And running for me at the moment is something that really helps me uh, uh, find the balance in terms of that place and really helps my pool game. So well, something I want to drop off anytime soon. No, Sullivan Clark, lovely to have you on the program. Wonderful insight. Um, you've just said in 20 minutes uh, more than the Warriors have told us in 25 years when it comes to performance sports. So <laughs> brilliant, Sullivan. And all the very best for the upcoming World Teams Championship in Austria, mate. All right, thank you so much, Mark. Thank you for having me. There you go, Sullivan Clark. What a class act, eh? Wow, young man. How old did he speak? He summed up high-performance sport right there. He should be coaching the Warriors. In all seriousness, he should. It's not rocket science, is it? The young man gets it. That's why I got him on the program. Because he gets it. You know, he's going to go over to the States 50 days shortly, play every little pool hall in America, learn how to lose to learn how to win. It's not going to tell us about how... Tough life is living on a beachfront apartment in the Gold Coast, earning $500,000 a year and how you miss mum and dad and that life's not fair like the Warriors do. If he gets there, he gets there because he's worked his ass off. No one even knows who he is. Because the media are too busy telling us how hard life is for the Warriors and our All Blacks. It's a disgrace. And I tell you what, it's a good place because Toisha, the Dutchman who's gonna, just got New Zealand residency, you want to watch this guy play, nine ball, ten ball, eight ball, remarkable, number 23 in the world, incredible talent. Hope you enjoyed that, just something slightly different. 24 minutes after four, the lines are open, 0800 150811 if you want to switch back and vent on the all-black performance. I'm asking Ian Foster to resign. Show some class, show some dignity, resign. Sam Kane, congratulations on your 80 test career, All Black, but your time's up. Sam Whitelock, love the experience that you bring, but your time's up. And to these moron coaches who somehow think that we should just swap out our front row because the PowerPoint presentation told us to, and it looks good and Sports science says that players can only play for 40-odd minutes now. Remember, scientists once told us the earth was flat. Here, you're listening to SENZ. That must be my cue, is it? It must be my cue. Sorry, I was just uh, texting Mark Stafford, actually. Oh, we got music now. We got music. I can't even... I didn't even put the headphones on. Got a little bit of gangster going on.
Out with the old, in with the new. Love the theme, Ben. I think we're just targeting that one towards maybe Ian Foster once again. Ian, um, all accounts, mate. Top, top man, but coaching the All Blacks is not your level, my friend, unfortunately. Please do the honourable thing. Just resign. Please don't put yourself ahead of what's in the best interest of the game. The miracle ain't happening. It's not happening. It ain't going to happen. Let's bring in some fresh selectors. Let's just change this up. Uh, Mark, good afternoon. Welcome. Hello, Mark. How are you? Good, thank you. Good. I'm with you totally. I think the best thing that the NZRU board and their current letdown of a coach can do is uh, forward a number of words out there in uh, cyberspace to Scott Robertson saying, Scott Robertson, all is forgiven. And then they resign because they're not doing the New Zealand public and they're not doing the All Blacks and New Zealand uh, sporting culture any favours at all. They're living in their own alternate dimension of stupidity if they think they're doing a good job, if they think they're up to the task. They're not. And that's, in a real-world sense, evidenced by how easily Argentina beat New Zealand. And they just need to completely burn this whole fast down, that's the NZRU, and start afresh. Yeah, look, I, I, yeah, I don't disagree. It, you know, a, a fish rocks from the head down. Um, I think the writing's been on the wall for a long time. I think what we've realised pretty quickly is that South African rugby's not that great either at the moment and that maybe, um, you know, we were really, really bad when South Africa beat us and then we were a little bit better in South Africa off their game when we won and then suddenly all was forgiven. I, I said this, Mark, and I'll say it again, that when we reappointed Ian Foster last week, or didn't reappoint him, but they backed him, to me that was an acknowledgement that it's okay to lose test matches as long as we win the Rugby World Cup, and that's a really, really sad state of affairs. It's a place that we oh, never exactly. want to be, um, because that's not the All Black way, it's not the All Black brand. Um, and no. look, there was, I know a colleague of mine um, interviewed the great South African first five, Nas Border, who was the first five in the South African tour here in 1981, and Nas came out yes. actually and said, look, the Rugby World Cup, it's a bit of an anomaly. It's not a four-year cycle. It's not about trying to build up four years out. It's actually something that can happen in a three-month period. And really what you're just trying to do is get your timing right for a quarter-final, a semi-final, and a final. And I think if you only got to look back at where South African rugby was a year or two years out from the last Rugby World Cup when they were beaten 57-0 by the All Blacks, the proof is there. And so if you start putting all your eggs in one basket, you are going to uh, get yourself in a world of trouble. Well, they're in a world of trouble and they need to get out of it. And the best way to start doing that is to get rid of their current coach, get rid of the board at the NZIU and get Scott Robertson in as the All Blacks coach because at least he has a proven track record of success and consistency, having won six titles with the Crusaders. Yeah, I see a lot of people are having a real go at Mark Robertson, the current CEO, who hasn't handled this at all well. But I'll keep saying this, the damage was done under... Steve Chu, in my opinion, and also uh, Steve Steve Hanson. They're the ones that fundamentally shifted New Zealand rugby, where we went from being rugby fans to being now just all-black fans. And in the name of doing that, as I said, they've eroded the game underneath the all-blacks to the point now where, you know, you do start to question the depth of talent coming through. Um, you know, club rugby is irrelevant. And, and you can't just rely on St. Kennigan's College to hold up New Zealand rugby in this country. Uh, because Absolutely. the problem at schoolboy level is the kids that are, are, are seen to be doing well are just big kids. And often right. big kids are just one-dimensional. That's right. Mm. 
And I've got to say, uh, I agree with Ben's uh, Paolo Nutini uh, songs. I quite like uh, his songs. I've done a bit of a search since I've heard Ben play a lot of his songs. And I've got to say, one of my favourite songs of his is called Acid Eyes. Acid Eyes. We will play Acid Eyes very shortly for you, Mark. No problem. Thanks a lot. Thanks, mate. Keep up the great work, yeah, guys. 26 minutes away from five. Telephone numbers 0800 150 Have you got Acid Eyes there, Ben? Let's have a listen to this. The, this guy is so good. The other day, I got embarrassed because he sounded like Robert Plant and I thought it was Led Zeppelin. Boy, he's got a range, this guy, hasn't he? He's Scottish, believe it or not. Someone texted earlier from Chris. First time in over 100 years losing three games on New Zealand soil in one season. Is that true? It probably sounds right. Maybe Mark Stafford could follow that one up tomorrow. Is that or one of the boys on the shows tomorrow. First time in over 100 years losing three games on New Zealand soil in one season. Hmm. Doesn't look too good when you look at the end of the year to Wales, Scotland and England. Scotland are not the Scotland of old. Boy, they're another powerhouse out of the Northern Hemisphere as well. They all know the blueprint to beat the All Blacks. Just muscle up, don't miss your tackles and you'll beat them. Mind you, I've got to say that referee was fairly bloody average last night, but I'm not going to blame the referee. But why you get a guy from Georgia, um, referee all Blacks International is beyond me. Maybe it's just another box ticking exercise. Everybody's got to be included these days, don't they? Forget merit. Let's just include everyone. Let's just appease the left, the far left. Uh, anyway, let's hear. I was going to, probably a bit harsh, mate, but I thought we could come on with some circus music like dun 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 because we're going to play some Ian Foster audio, aren't we? Should we do that? Let's do that. Let's hear from Ian Foster today. All three of those guys a chance to play, or is that a day-by-day assessment? Day-by-day. Really, we just uh, see how they're training. And what about Bowden? How's, how's he come through? Is he a chance as well? Yeah, he trained well yesterday. Um, so, again, the next couple of days we'll have a good look at that. Having had a bit more time to think and linger on last night's performance, what, what, what are your thoughts this morning? Much the same frustration? Yeah, lingered on a lot. You know, had uh, been through it. It's... Um, you know, I, 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 clearly there was a, a whole lot of stuff that, that uh, we, we were pretty dominant early. Um, we got ourselves into a position, particularly in that last 30, where I, I, I thought Argentina stayed in the game. They put us under a lot of defensive pressure and we and we sort of stuck to, a, I guess, an all-black DNA. We tried to play and carry our way through a really strong defensive line and, and we need to be a bit smart about how we offer variety around that. More disheartening than anything to see that drop off in the second 40, given the way you held them out in the in the first half and had that lead at half time. Yeah, it was. I mean, we're we're obviously desperately trying to build some new habits in this team about what we're doing on the park, and and it seems that we're we're taking a couple of steps forward, and then and then suddenly you take one step back. So that's uh, that is frustrating when we're um, when we, we are trying to build some new stuff there, but. Uh, you know, we just got to we got to keep working on that. Just then go back to the DNA of running the ball. Ian. The decision makers, you know, to have a kicking game. Has that come to the number ten, or is it the captain who thinks that's important? Well, it's a, it's it's a collective thing, Richard. It's it's like it's we we just got to get smarter at, at playing what's what's in front of us, and and I think showing a little bit more respect to 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 a D line. I think we saw. You know, I think we saw our, our D line in that first half. What I thought was particularly strong, and and Argentina sort of 
resorted to a kicking game um, early against us and, and perhaps in that last quarter we needed to show them the same respect. The discipline, the 14 penalties conceded, pretty disappointing I guess. Yeah, 14-12 is a high penalty game for both teams um, and I guess it's the manner of them that uh, you know the, the 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 penalties that hurt you are often the ones early when we're a little bit overzealous in that offside line and I think I said last night the the the, the, the I guess the last quarter ones were primarily at the attacking breakdown where we were clearly getting frustrated with a few things but we we maybe needed to control that a little bit better with some of our, our tactical decisions. Did you have a chat to Sam, your captain? He gave away that penalty with Matera. It was pretty vital because they kept the penalty. No doubt he was frustrated, but it's just one of those things that can be a real killer. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. It's um, we'll work through all that, and it's you know it's probably I just reflective of a team that's trying really really hard and and it's close but not quite there. So when you subbed him sort of soon off, is that sort of a pre-plan? Sorry, was it first uh, when, when Sam got subbed soon after that, about the 65th minute, 66th yep. minute? Was that pre-planned or is that something a reaction just to tired legs or? Yeah, a little bit. I, I just we just felt we needed to to, to make we, we we just felt we needed a bit more power in, in our carry stuff, and so it was really a decision to, I guess, take a feature off and put a ball carrier on. Because okay. it's sort of become a not not a feature this year, but we have seen it a few times with him. Is that going to continue in the future? Is it? Oh, it'd be game by game. Okay. Okay. So, and I don't want to bang on too much about Sam, but you've still got full uh, trust in him as the skipper and being able to make decisions on the field. And, yeah, look, it's, you know, clearly he's under the spotlight, we're all under the spotlight when things don't go well, but, um, you know, behind the scenes, strong, I, I thought, uh, I thought a, lot, a lot of his, his tackle and, and, his, and his work around the breakdown was uh, a big shift up the last two games, and we're pleased with that. How would you assess Cody Taylor's form at the moment? I know he's it's at the back end of Super Rugby, he said it had been a battle this year to get to where he was earlier last year. How would you assess his form? Ah, oh, look, uh, it's... Oh, look, I'm not... Cody's working hard, trying hard. I think it's when when the set piece doesn't go well in the last 15 minutes, it's easy to point the finger at the hooker. You know, when you lose a few line outs, so you know we'll dig down into that. But um, you know, certainly he, he's with he's with everyone. He's he's just working his butt off to try to get things right. Do you uh, consider holding back Stephen Pettifetta, or, uh, or do you just want to get out in the park? Last night. Oh, I can. Yeah, we well, consider all those options that. Uh, the, the, I guess the subbing became a little bit niggly at the end, particularly with the yellow card and and the nature and the position of that. And um, and again, Stephen was a guy that we really wanted to get on. We think he can inject stuff into to our attack with his footwork and his second receiver role. But um, it was a game that uh, didn't quite flow. That the consistency's been hard for this team to find this year. Is there a mental hurdle to overcome? Do you think to, to try and find that consistency? Yeah, well, often when you're trying to build something a little bit different, it takes a little while, and it's um, and it's pretty frustrating, isn't it? You know, it's frustrating, I'm sure, for for, for the viewers and the fans, and it's frustrating for us. But um, you know, we we have got a lot of faith that some of the things we're building are, are, are paying dividends. But it's um, it, it's you know, it needs to happen quickly, and and we know that, and that's why you know we've just got a nice. If you go back to South Africa 1, South Africa 2, it, it hurt. We felt we were moving and we just shortened our focus down and that's what we've got to do now. We've just got to shorten our focus down to Hamilton and and show that this group can actually keep 
building those habits, make some strides, and, and the only way you get consistency is one step at a time. So on that, is it, is it tact- where to from here? Is it tactical changes, player changes? What do you think? Yeah, well, we've got to look at that last quarter. There's clearly, we've, we've got to look at our response to teams that want to stifle us and, and you know... Oh, look, just turn it, turn it off. I've had enough. I've just had enough. I mean, seriously, are we still going through this after what's gone on over the last two years with this guy? You know, we've got to come out and respond. It's Why can't somebody in the media just simply say to him, Ian... In the best interest of New Zealand rugby, show some dignity, dignity. Shouldn't you resign? Are you going to resign? I mean, do you listen to the crap that we're just hearing there? Honestly. It's Argentina, man. Oh, anyway, take a break. Okay, all together now. Turn it up. Walk on through the wind. Walk on. Okay, so Liverpool, Liverpool, 9-0. 9-0. They're back. They're back, baby. They're back. Unlike the All Blacks, unlike the Warriors, they're back. Gotta love the quote from Stacey Jones after the 45-0 drubbing. They played better. <laughs> they played better. Oh, dear. Dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Uh, someone that's just texting in, Foster is an absolute fudge. It's just fudging everything. How the hell the players backed him is just BS. I don't know. Well, you, you put it this way. Your boss, you know you're inept. You know you're inadequate, but your boss thinks you're brilliant. Someone comes to you and says, what do you think of your boss? What are you going to say? Oh, it's great. He's brilliant. He endorses me. I mean, it's just ridiculous going to ask the players what they think. They're not going to come out and say he's bad because they're going to get dropped. Hey, hey, just a quick story too. Um, Alex Hodgman, who plays for the Blues. I've got this um, very good source actually. Alex Hodgman, who plays for the Blues. I've watched Alex come through Man Abbott Grammar, played four tests a couple of years back. You know why he got dropped from the All Blacks? Because he questioned guys like Dron Plumtree and stuff and was asking questions about scrummaging. It came from the right place. He just wants to get better and better. But because he asked questions, they took that as being disrespectful. And that's why he was dropped. True story. That's the mindset. That's the mentality. And everyone knows Alex Hodgman and those inside the Blues will tell you, this guy just strives to be the best he can be. He's, there's not a malicious bone in him. He just wants to get better. So he asks questions. So he challenges. But that was interpreted as being defiant. That's why he hasn't got back in the All Blacks. This is the mindset. This is the mentality. Unbelievable. You sure you haven't got some circus music there, Ben? No? Anyway. Um, right, we're coming up to five minutes away from five. Someone's saying Arsenal would have beaten Bournemouth 13-0. Carl, 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 you might be top of the table, my friend. But it's not how you start the 10,000 metres, it's how you finish it. There's a saying in marathon running, mate. 20 miles of hope, 6 miles of truth. You haven't approached the 30k mark yet, Carl. But love the passion. Love the passion, Carl. I've got a friend who's a very big Spurs fan. They hate Arsenal. Hate Arsenal with a passion. Ben Francis, thank you.
Ian Foster, thank you. For ruining my day. Anyway, we are done and dusted. Don't forget, catch Mark Stafford's show tomorrow between 12 and 4. The boy's fired up. He's fired up. He's set to go. He's going to come off the long run. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.